Here's today's reminder. If your church is going to grow, you have to equip your leaders. But how do you do this? How do you empower the leaders at your church to lead well? Join us at equiplab.com backslash church leaders. We're here to equip your ministry team to thrive. Just go to equiplab.com backslash church leaders and join us today. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day. And in this series, we are exploring the church's stance on LGBTQ issues. This has been a pressing conversation for some time, and we believe it is only growing more important that believers and church leaders engage in this conversation with both love and wisdom. There are many questions that Christians are wrestling with, including what does it mean to love someone in the LGBTQ community while not compromising what the Bible says? Can someone be both gay and Christian? Should we use someone's preferred pronouns? And how can pastors best address these topics with care from the pulpit? We'll explore questions like these from multiple angles, theological, academic, cultural, and social. We'll also hear from the local pastor's perspective. Our guests are more than experts. For some of them, this conversation is extremely personal. We hope that this series will be informative and will help you navigate this challenging area of life and ministry with wisdom, with grace, and with love. And now, let me introduce you to this week's guest. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Lawrence Koo joined me for today's conversation. Born and raised in the Netherlands, Lawrence studied dentistry in Amsterdam. While in college, he met the Navigators and became involved as a student leader. And after graduation, Lawrence served on staff with the Dutch Navigators and in January 2017 moved to the U.S. to join the missions department of the U.S. Navigators in Colorado Springs. He now serves as the director of iEdge, a program that sends out teams of young adults into the nations to do cross-cultural discipleship ministry. Lawrence is also an international speaker and consultant on the topic of sexuality. Now, in this episode, Lawrence shares his story about understanding his sexuality and living as a devoted follower of Jesus. Lawrence and I discuss the gift of singleness and how the church can minister to the LGBTQ plus community. Lawrence also shares some advice for both young people experiencing an attraction to the same sex and for Christian parents whose child has come out. So please, won't you join me in my conversation with Lawrence Koo? Lawrence, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. So good to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Jason. Yeah. Now, um, I'd love for you to share with our audience a little bit about your story, your upbringing, and the journey that God has had you on. Yeah, I grew up in the Netherlands, born and raised from uh, parents who were immigrants from Indonesia. So they were born, uh, so they came from Indonesia before I was born to the Netherlands. And so uh, both mom and dad came from uh, kind of a believing background, but it solidified when they were uh, just by themselves in the Netherlands, trusting God and Jesus more for their lives there. And so I kind of grew up with Jesus and very much a tangible presence of God. And um, yeah, I grew up an hour north of Amsterdam. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think pretty happy childhood. Mom and dad were happily married and one sister. Um and uh, I think I think my journey starts 
uh, on sexualities. When I had this moment of self-awareness, when I was maybe in eighth grade or nine, and I had just had this awareness of like, this is Lawrence. I'm Lawrence. This is who I am. I have, I will never be someone else. This is how I look like. And suddenly I just kind of like turned inward. And I think part of being also kind of, uh, grew up in an immigrant family was this whole sense of that we didn't belong and i think i this is one of my core struggles in my in my life it's like yeah i don't belong and so i started to look at other people and especially other men kind of like what does it mean for me to belong um my classmates started to have like a lot of conversations on sexuality uh we i kind of discovered porn on the porn magazines on the recycling kind of bin from uh somewhere on the way to school and i think that just engaged like curiosity and um so we started as friends we started kind of calling hotlines on the phone but i started doing that by myself and ended up into gay hotlines and that really intrigued me and i think this was like 11 12 years old and yeah. uh and so I kind of did that, but I didn't know how much money that cost, or I saw that, but I didn't have that awareness. And so my parents were suddenly like, why does this, why is our phone bill so high? And so kind of they discovered what I was doing and that kind of, yeah, brought it into the light of that. And uh, that was quite shocking, I think, for them. And uh, I just remember coming back from school, my mom just kind of brought me into the bedroom and she just cried and she said, what have I done wrong? And I felt so much shame and I don't know exactly, I didn't know how to respond to that. And um, yeah, I think my whole teenage years out of, out of that, I think we kind of like, we're not, we were silent about it. My dad was kind of like, you're not going to do this anymore. Right. I'm like, no, kind of no. <laughs> and, uh, but then to my teenage years, I think we didn't discuss this anymore. And I felt very, I think I felt very exposed at that moment, but there was nothing really that covered that. My parents were kind of like doing their own, had their own process and I had my own process. And I felt during that time that I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to mention this anymore. Uh, during the same time, 12, 11, 11, 12 years old, I, I really took Jesus seriously. I, I wanted him in my life. I wanted to follow him. And I think the whole journey of my teenage years was seeing my spiritual life grow uh, and pursuing Jesus and at the same time seeing my sexuality going a certain direction that I didn't want to go. Hmm. And that brought me to a place of when I was 17 and, and kind of like, Lord, I just, I thought like following you meant that this is going away, but, and I, I wanted to fight it and I kind of didn't acknowledge it until that time. But when I was 17, I said, Lord, this is, I need to acknowledge this. This is part of where my sexuality is. And, but I want you to come in the midst of it. I want to surrender myself to you and you can do whatever you want with it. Mm -hmm. uh, my life is yours. And so, and that started kind of the, the whole journey for real. Wow. Now, now Lawrence, as you were wrestling through that in your teenage years and, and knowing, as you said, you, you were wanting to commit your life to Christ, you were growing in your, in your spirituality, but you still were wrestling with this as well. When you came to, to that point as a 17 year old, how, how did you sort of, reconcile uh, your feelings with with your faith at that time i think for me it was i was rejecting myself uh in my same sex attractions and in my feelings that i had but whenever i was crying out to god and laying in my bed i just 
kind of knew that his presence was there. And I was sometimes just very aware of his love for me. Mm. And so to me, the key part was the, really the experience of God's love as a father to me, that he was embracing me in the midst of where I couldn't embrace myself. And I really resonate with the Luke 15 story where, you know, the prodigal son comes back to the father and the father just embraces him and kisses him while he's still dirty and not, you know, transformed yet. Mm -hmm. And I felt that, and that was the lessons that I didn't have to be transformed to be embraced by God, the father. And I think that was so key in that, in that process that I just, yeah, really knew that, okay, if I experience this embrace so lovingly from him in the midst of my brokenness and where I feel, you know, there's so much despair, then I will give my life to you and I'll just follow you because that's kind of the answer to that love. Yeah. 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 That's powerful. It's interesting, Lawrence, because oftentimes we think of, um, whether we, we verbalize this or not, but we think of you know, we need to be cleaned up to some degree in order to enter into that, that relationship or in order to, to really honor God or really to seek God. But, but God welcomes us, as you've said beautifully, and, and Jesus through that story makes it clear. But we forget that, you know. I mean, we, we tend to um, heap that shame upon ourselves and, and distance ourselves when God is, is reaching out with open arms. You've shared a lot about how you've kind of worked through this journey and, and and one of the things that, that you've shared recently was that uh, God didn't give you answers; He just gave Him or gave you Himself. Right. And um, and could you elaborate a little bit on that? As, as you, because a lot of people are looking for answers, right? I mean, that's that's a thing. A lot of people are asking questions, looking for that answer. Um, but but you 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 said you know God really just gave me Himself. So so what did that mean for you? Yeah, I think it's. I think the why questions are so, um, I had to wrestle with God. Why me? Why is this happening to me? If this is following you means I thought you would fix me or you would take this away or whatever. And I think I had to wrestle with God in that. And I think, yeah, he didn't give me an answer for a long time of the reason why. But I think he was asking me, can you trust me? Mm. Can you trust this that I'm having, that you experienced, and that this is going to be part, in a sense, of like a redemptive story in your life. And I didn't know necessarily, you know, that's the phrasing that I could use right now. But I think he just presented himself to me and said, this is what your experience is of my love. Do you trust me for your life? And I feel that God was even in that very vulnerable to me in that sense, too. It's like, and I, and I think over the course of time, step by step i'm like yeah i'm trusting you for this i but i'm wrestling with you in the midst of it but at the end of the day i will trust you yeah that's yeah. good that's that's so powerful now tell me a little bit lawrence about so as you came through that experience as a 17 year old um and, and you came to this point where you just really embraced christ what what trajectory did that send you on at that point like like what came next in life you went to, to university and and that sort of thing and then and then what experience have you had as, as growing as a Christ follower and where has that brought you to today? Yeah, I think when I, um, yeah, so many things I, f I feel like that came out of that because I think I started being involved with the Dutch navigators and university in Amsterdam uh, when I was, and I think gradually shared my story also there with 
friends and trusted people. I think in a, on the sexuality part, I was expecting still God to take it away or transform me towards being able, yeah, I don't know, like my expectation was that he would make me straight in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then over in the 20s, kind of like somewhere in the midst of that, I kind of was aware that he was not doing that. And kind of like that was the journey of like, do you trust me for this? Do you trust me? But then I started as a student leader, but then later also on staff, uh, I started to investing in in other guys. And even if they were not struggling with my struggles necessarily, but the principles of surrendering to God and following him as a disciple were exactly the same. And so a lot of the things that I was learning, and I would say pretty much focused because of my sexual journey in that sense, mm-hmm. I feel that God is kind of like was preparing me to pour into other people already then. Um, and I remember just even going on uh, on staff with the navigators and talking with my then supervisor about it or the boss of kind of like the collegiate work. And I kind of like, you need to know my story. And I shared my story with him. And he said, Lawrence, I just really want you to be part of our team, not in spite of this, but because of how you follow Jesus in the midst of this brokenness. Hmm. And we were like in the beginning of the 2000s and uh, in a secularizing Europe where sexuality and we saw was something that we needed to address if we wanted to make disciples because discipleship, if we didn't address sexuality, that would be a mistake because a lot of us in our twenties were struggling with that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I think that brought me on this trajectory and then uh, having even opportunities in my church and, and as a leader in, in the navigators, just being very embraced by my my leaders during that time and saying we really trust your character and i think they took a risk honestly as Mm. a 23 year old but they they believed in me and i think that meant the world to me that they trusted me with this ministry and even you know one-on-one pouring into guys and my boss kind of like said to me and like do you trust yourself with this i'm like i do because i want to be have be a person of integrity in that yeah, and it was, it was, yeah, it's been such a sweet journey and seeing that God can use me in the middle of my brokenness. And actually, because of my brokenness, I have a, such a greater understanding in, in some particular ways. Yeah. 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 That, that, that's, it's beautiful how God just, uh, you know, God takes all of us for open and willing and obedient, uses us in a number of ways. Right. So, um, so it's a beautiful part of your story. Now, Lawrence, um, in the church, and you've you've probably had lots of conversations around this, and probably helped disciple others through this. But often, single Christians view this gift of singleness as not so much a gift, but more of a curse. Right? They feel as though the single life could not possibly be as rich or as fulfilling as maybe it would be with a romantic partner. Talk to us, Lawrence, how you have kind of addressed this mindset yourself, and how you would help. Um, others and the church as a whole um, better understand this idea of singleness? I think there's a validity to those feelings because I think of the current Western church culture and Mm. it's even say the American church is even worse coming, living in the U.S. Uh, Because I do think that the church has embraced a certain way that the culture does that the romance and sexuality and marriage is actually the way to happiness. And that's, that's the only way. Mm. Somehow the church has embraced that vision too. Uh, But I think if we go really closely to the biblical narrative is that uh, both 
uh, marriage and singleness are can represent uh, Christ and his bride to the fullest. And it, it goes back to what the gospel of our sexuality is. And I think that is the most important. And I think we lost that as a church where my picture of it is, yeah, men and women are and in marriage are representing Christ in the church in the self-sacrificial love that they have for each other. And even in their physicalness, uh, I think in the sexual kind of deed between men and women, where he comes into her and she needs to receive him. And so that he can give life to her. That's exactly what the gospel is saying. And so marriage is just a picture towards the ultimate picture of Christ becoming unified with the church. And I think that's why we call it marriage a sacrament. It, it, go, it points towards something forward. I use I use sometimes in my speaking the, the example of a trailer. Uh, marriage is a trailer to the movie. And so, but when you, when the movie's out, you don't watch the trailer anymore. <laughs> um, but like any movies, there's different trailers and singleness is also a trailer to is the same movie because and the calling of single person, uh, a person is to give yourself fully away to then the community, to the church. Uh, as like the callings for a man and a wife is primarily to give themselves away to each other. And that's how they reflect Christ in the church. But as a single person, I can reflect Christ in the church in the same value uh, or in the same, yeah, in the same kind of value in the sense of that I give myself fully to the church. Um, I think we go wrong also in a church and in culture that it is all about fulfillment, that marriage about fulfillment, sexuality is about my fulfillment. Uh, and in that sense, I feel like we're all sexually broken because we need to learn married and singles, gay and straight, to, if we follow Jesus, to come to this new narrative of sexuality, uh, a kingdom sexuality that gives themselves fully away to the other person. Um, and yeah, that's in sexuality, uh, but as a single person, not necessarily in sexual intimacy, but in very different ways of giving yourself fully. And in that sense, equally to marriage, reflecting Christ in the church as well. Yeah, so that's good. Lawrence, let's dive in a little more from the perspective of, of someone who has chosen a life of singleness or you know is living in that lifestyle. And, and you've chosen that lifestyle in a way to honor God, right? Um, right. Because of your, your sexuality. And so you've chosen a life of, of, of singleness. So talk to us a little bit about how does that play out, that, um, that surrendering? What, what does that look like? Because a lot of people, uh, especially here um, in, in the U.S., in the Western church, they, they do draw that, that parallel um, husband and wife and, you know, the marriage uh, relationship to, you know, Christ and his, his church. So talk to us a little bit about how that plays out for um, those like you who are, who are single. Yeah, let me go back a little bit on what you said about the gift of singleness, because I think what you were reading 1 Corinthians 7, 7 is where it says you either have the one gift or the other. So it says you have either the gift of singleness or the gift of relationship and or marriage. Mm -hmm. so, so according to Paul, there's not another option. So I think a lot of the times the perception of like, oh, I don't have the gift of singleness, but but Paul's talking about in matter of state. So if you're single, you have the gift of singleness. Hmm. If you're married, you have the gift of marriage. Sometimes people who are married doesn't want to have that gift, that particular gift at that particular time sometimes too, but they yeah. have the gift. 
Mm-hmm. So you cannot excuse yourself in the sense of like, I, I don't have it because I don't want it sometimes. And I think, so it's not even a choice for me to embrace this gift of singleness over life. The fact that I am single and I live my life as a single person makes me to receive this gift of singleness. Married people also, when unfortunately one of their spouses pass away, they go back to the gift of singleness as well. That's how I kind of view it. Yeah, that's good. And, and so I think like, but what does it mean to receive a gift from God? A gift is never to give that it's only for yourself. Both the gift of marriage and the gift of singleness is meant to give itself outside of itself to other people as a blessing. And so in that understanding, for me as a single person, it's not like to be just a selfish, to live life selfishly. And although I have done that or or like wrestled with that, because there's great things about singleness, of course, in that sense, too. But I do think it's like, how do I give myself fully to my community that God has given me? And I think that was much more of the practical choice and uh, what does that look like in reality of life? And how do I love and how I'm committed and how do I stay with my friends and the people that God has given me? And especially also when people got married and, and be part of and, and got families, how I don't not say like, well, our life is just are different right now. I give up on them. But how do I stay with my married mm-hmm. friends? How do I stay with my my friends who are families? And that was a journey that I would say we have not done very well as the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really needed to learn how to do that. But I see also, yeah, there's so many things in the church right now, in the Western church and American church, that actually is not helping that process at all. Yeah. Um, Lawrence, talk to us a little bit about how you've uh, you've been in ministry now for quite some time, uh, working uh, with the navigator specifically. And and can you talk to us a bit about how you have uh, navigated um, having healthy relationships, um, healthy friendships with both men and women? I feel like, and what my journey is that it's engaging relationships and wanting to be pure in it and with integrity. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that you then separate yourself from intimate relationship with both genders, especially mm-hmm. for me, I feel like I needed male friendship and I needed to learn how to do male friendship well. And, um, and I was always so afraid of it that I would either fall in love or feel attracted to it. And it happened, mm-hmm. but with the friendship that I had, I needed to engage it with them. And they kind of like, and learning how like, well, oh wait, this is normal how to feel like this. This is what normal intimacy. And because I needed to separate kind of like my own feelings and my own journey and mature in it of kind of like, oh, this is not sexual intimacy that I want. I just want intimacy and friendship. Mm. And and I feel like sometimes in the purity culture and in, in that we had in the church, we say, oh, let's just avoid all that messiness. <laughs> Uh, but it didn't help us to grow in, to become mature in that. So that when we're 30 and in our forties and that we can be that community that single people actually need around uh, each other. And also that they are integrated in family life too. And they, and they can bless also uh, family life of people who are have families. And so I feel like married and single people can be really a gift to one another, but yeah, learning how to do friendship then, uh, uh, for me then with, for instance, my, my good guy friends, but also cross-genderly, we need to really learn how to do that and see each other more as brothers and sisters first and mm-hmm. engage that. 
instead of potential partners, romantic partners, or led then a potential threat to your marriage. And I feel that that's a very skewed vision on uh, intimate relationships in the body of Christ. Yeah, talk talk with us a little bit more about that because um, the purity culture. You mentioned the purity culture, and, and many people um, listening in, probably even right now, when they hear the pure, you know, that phrase, the purity culture, they think positive things about that. Yeah, the right. purity culture has helped. You know that you know, and oftentimes we think of the purity culture, and we think of you know, young people, teenagers. You know, the purity culture is to keep them clean and pure before they end up getting married is is kind of the thought process which we've already talked about is you know one of the things we we were hung up on so um talk to us about that purity culture because again a lot of people will think oh that's a good thing um and and i'm sure there are good elements in it we could agree there are good elements in it but but talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges within that culture specifically how it relates to having good friendships that are healthy um, rather than being, you know, maybe fearful of those friendships, but at the same time, how do we still guard ourselves? Because right. that's that's just as important, right? And so that's the that's the tension we all live in. Um, so so talk to us a bit about your experience there. Yeah, I think the purity that God is asking from us is the purity of heart, and that it's not always defined by uh, what behavior looks like. Um, and then I think that's key. I think learning for me in friendship, how to engage my friendship in purity meant that sometimes my feelings got messed up and my behavior got messed up. But because it, the engaging of friendship kind of like brought up the things that I still needed to be transformed in my own heart. Like I want a purity of heart. Uh, I want to desire through intimacy. But it also means to go work through all of these, the messiness of my own broken heart. And of course, these friendships were safe. I mean, it was a lot with my straight friends in that sense. So in that sense, there was a boundary in kind of what they would allow to happen in that sense. But I do think, I think the outcome of it, of a good way of friendship is a community of believers that's truly unity and a gift to one another, married and single people together. I think what we see right now, and I even experience that, especially in America, there's such a loneliness. There's, I have a fear of loneliness of kind of like, how do I even fit into a community that's so based on only families and married people? It was so interesting to come to the U.S. and be part of even of a ministry where I came in as a single person. I was in my first year in the U.S. and I work for a department that has lived abroad too, but I was not invited to someone's home, uh, married home or, or uh, uh, family's home for dinner. Hmm. And I would do that constantly in the Netherlands with my friends. But when I saw other couples coming in or other families, they got an invitation like that. Hmm. So I'm like, what is going on here, especially in the U.S. Christian culture, where families and married people and single people, there's kind of like this enormous wall that's invisible, but very tangible. And it starts already, I think, where dating culture is where, oh, we just start double dating. Hmm. And we go only with other couples. And they kind of like cut ties with their other single friends and even cross-gender friends, because that's kind of like, that's not what you do anymore. And I'm, and I'm kind of like, why? Because hmm. when my friends started having dating, kind of, I started becoming friends with the person they started to date, doesn't matter each gender. 
And so now I become a friend to both of them. And in the Netherlands, it was very custom for me to go to come to the end when they got the babies and be part of their family. And I was invited for dinner. And but then they would sit with me, both of them, the whole evening after the children went to bed and I did their dishes and whatever. Mm -hmm. I sometimes even cooked for them. And so there was much more of a mutuality there. And here it's so separated. And I found it really sad, honestly. Because I'm like, and I mean, sad for myself to a certain point. And, and I engage that with my friends. But yeah, I think to me, this is one of the things that I see like, yeah, you guys have separated and, and, and missed out on opportunity of doing community well. And you don't even see it and know it. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Now, Lawrence, what would you say to someone who says, yes, I, I, I recognize that, but really what I'm trying to do is protect my marriage, sure. right? Because that, that, that's one of the things that, that you know, that, that people share. And, and they might have a good intent, um, but, but how, do you, how do you help people kind of work through that or process that? Or what, what are your thoughts on, on kind of that? Yeah, honestly, I have to say, like, you have to look at your own heart then too. Why, is, why do you feel that as a risk for you then personally? If that's mm -hmm. true, for that a certain person for you, let, let's make that thing kind of like very concrete for if like a, for a husband, if he feels threatened by, by a particular woman and having friendship with them, I totally say, okay, of course, don't do that. But know your own heart. That doesn't mean that the nine other sisters in Christ that you have, mm -hmm. that you avoid them and say, you know, I cannot be alone with you or I cannot be even interacting with you in a deep level just because I'm like having maybe an interaction to that one person. Mm. So, and I feel like because you haven't learned when to do that when you're a teenager or in your twenties, we see now the problems in people's in their thirties and forties, the separation, the, the mm. loneliness for singleness, but honestly also the loneliness of marriage, because I see a lot of my friends also is like, yeah, if I, do, I, there's also this kind of like concept of that marriage will fulfill everything, that your partner is your best friend, is the one who you will do everything with, is your all partner in everything. But if that's, if that's not possible, if that's kind of a high, that's a big burden to bear in marriage from each other. And I feel like when there's more friendships around in the marriage, that marriage also has a lot more space to breathe and not and mm. have intimacy around that and to be a gift also, but also receive the gift from more relationships. And so I see kind of like, there's definitely risks involved and there's like mistakes that's been made and I see those. But I think the purity culture, what is done is kind of like, well, let's avoid the messiness and let's separate that too. With I feel like this loneliness on both sides that mm. we also see. And I think the challenge is how can we be then a healthy body of Christ that has intimate relationships with each other? Because that's where we're going to anyways, because marriage will be over. Mm. Every one of us in heaven will have this deep, intimate relationship with each other. It doesn't matter of gender. And there's no kind of like purity culture in that. So is, as we mature and let the Holy Spirit transforms our lives, can we have like that part of that kingdom here already on earth because we so need it. And that's also the, what the community needs, it, what single people need, it, what married people need. And if you want to then reach out to an LGBT community, you also need to think through what is the community then that we want to invite them into. 
is that because they have already community and all of that, I think we, yeah, that's, this is what then I think also thinking through mission, that's important. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Now, now you've talked about the gospel and you've talked about it um, and, and said that the true gospel is better than the starvation diet gospel of traditional Christianity. Hmm. And it's also better than the fast food diet gospel of popular right. culture. Um, and, and I think a lot of what we've been talking about, you know, relate, relates to this, but can you kind of uh, unpack that a little bit more and explain what you mean by that? Sure. I think the starvation diet gospel, I think is the purity culture that mm-hmm. says you don't have sex before marriage. When you are then married, you will have the greatest sex and you will always be happy. There's no space in that narrative for single people, how that looks like then for, uh, you know, uh, LGBTQ, mm-hmm. we don't know how to address that but yeah uh, it's kind of like but it's like don't have sex before marriage it doesn't speak on sexuality very positively and you see that a lot with people too like if that's the message that they've heard they starve themselves uh, and then they suddenly can't have sex they don't know what to do with that Mm. Um, the other side of the starvation is also when you say like oh this is what you cannot have of course we want to have it and then i think why do we have such a problem with pornography because Mm. When you're starving and you're hungry, even if you get the fast food, you're going to take the fast food. Mm. The fast food gospel is saying you just can get whatever you want. You are in charge. Sexuality is so important. Yeah, you just whenever you want it, you can get it. Again, and that's the extreme, I think, of the, the fast food gospel. And I think the gospel that I believe about sexuality is a little bit what I referred to before is like this self-sacrificial love between people, a man and a woman, uh, reflecting Christ in the church. And honestly, when I heard that kind of version of the sex, the gospel of sex, I'm like, I find that so freaking beautiful. <laughs> That's what I want to be my life about. And because I find something beautiful and, and, and I have a longing for it, that's when I can also say no to other longings. Mm. And I always say, say kind of like, and I believe this, that we're, as people, we're, we're desire-driven people, not necessarily only intellectual-driven, so that if it makes sense in our head, like, this is, the, this is what I uh, decide. On this particular parts of our life, we are desire-driven people and and our desires are being purified and t- transformed. But that's why I need desires that are bigger than the ones that making me want to sin or going into a certain direction. And so the beautiful desire to make my life be about the gospel of sex that God has portrayed to me, that's the reason why I can then say no to other desires. And uh, because I then suddenly have a big, got a greater desire. And so, so I find it so beautiful that, that the Bible and Jesus and God is offering us this beautiful narrative, but we have to rediscover that as a church. Yeah, that, that's, that's good, Lawrence. And what advice for church leaders, pastors, ministry leaders, um, would you offer regarding ministering to people in the LGBTQ community, you know, are there are there ways that we can engage um, and, and and speak with wisdom um, and and point people to Jesus that we may be missing out on right now? Um, are, are there expressions that you've seen that are very positive and helpful, and, and you've seen very fruitful uh, ministry come about? Yeah. 
I feel like my my primary focus of my ministry has been to lead other and help other and train other ministry leaders in this. And I think my advice for for that is usually think through what your your narrative is. Do you have a biblical narrative on sexuality for your whole community? Doesn't matter, straight or gay. Because if you all can acknowledge that we're sexual broken and we all need the Holy Spirit in the sense of like to transform our sexual brokenness that only wants to be fulfilled into a sexuality that wants to pour themselves out to other people. That's what what straight people and gay people in that sense need LGBTQ too. So I think the acknowledgement that we're all on the same level, that we're all sexual broken, I think that's helpful but then also all fall in love in this beautiful narrative of sexuality that God is portraying for us. Because I think from that point of view, you can invite people into something that you're not saying like, oh, you're so wrong, or you're like having, you're having such a sinful life. You can recognize your own brokenness as a church as well in that. So that's one. Mm -hmm. I think second, I would say there's a difference between posture and position. Uh, because I do think that we need a strong conviction in position in what we believe about what the gospel of sexuality is and that we believe in certain things about men and women, what we believe about gender, what we believe about sexuality and why it's so important that it's men and women because it reflects Christ in the church. Um, and so I think we can be really strong in our conviction and for some churches even say we need to be even stronger in our conviction what we believe about sexuality. But at the same same time, that doesn't mean that in our posture towards the LGB community, we cannot be full of love and grace. Hmm. And I do think that, and I'm learning also from, from secular Europe and living there and ministering there, we really need to define sometimes what the truth is that people need to hear when they first encounter us or when they first encounter Jesus. Because a lot of the times people say, well, but they need to know the truth, Lawrence. And I'm like, uh, what is the truth that they first need to hear that their lifestyle is a sin towards God? Is that the first thing that you want to draw them into Jesus with? Is that seriously the first thing that Jesus encountered when he met sinners that he just pointed out to their lifestyle, whether it was wrong with them? Um, so what is then the truth that we need to bring to them? What is true gospel, good news to people who are, are lost and searching? Um, and that sometimes means that we have to talking about their lifestyle is maybe uh, somewhere like maybe the fifth or 10th or whatever, hundred point or something that we don't have to talk about yet. And so I think those two things, I would say like, like what is your community? How as a leader have we talked on sexuality in general in our church? Because we don't do that very often. And what do we believe about our own sexual brokenness and our own narratives? And then second, there's a difference between posture and position. Yeah, that's that's very helpful. Now, Lawrence, I would to um, kind of pick your brain a little bit um, from from your own experience as as you wrestled through this early on. You shared a story of you know your parents and how you guys interacted to some degree, didn't interact <laughs> to another degree. You know, you know, really digging into what you were wrestling with in, in your sexuality. What advice would you give to young people who are experiencing an attraction to the same sex or maybe um, who are, you know, wrestling or thinking through or trying to determine, you know, their, their gender identity and, and work through that process? What, what advice would you give to them? 
first of all, know that you are loved by the Father. Mm. And that he wants to embrace you. He still embraces you in the middle of all this messiness and confusion. I think that's the first thing. Second, don't carry this alone. Go always to a person that you trust. And have, have grace on the people that you're going to, too, that maybe their first response is not the best one. But go to your trusted people and really come into the light. Um, and share your story and yeah find those people that that you feel safe with um, and and take that journey from there and I think if you really know that God loves you the father loves you and embrace you in the midst of all that did well how do you want to respond to that this can be can your sexuality can your gender search in that sense be submitted on him not submitted even but that you kind of surrender that to him because of the love that he has for you um, and wrestle with him. Hmm. It doesn't have to be black and white from the start, but really be honest and be authentic in your wrestling. But at the end of the day, do you trust him to give your life to? And can you surrender to him? And if there's anything that you kind of feel like, I can't do that, what is that? Maybe because it's a, diff uh, uh, a hard view on God, uh, or a, a wrong view of God that you grew up with. Sometimes it's the church or other believers who have, who've given you such a skewed view of who God is. Um, so, but try to see the real Jesus through that, that he is the one who embraces you and wants to love you and doesn't reject you for your sexuality or for your gender, your gender confusion in that sense. Yeah, that, that's helpful. Now, Lawrence, what advice would you give parents who um, their son or their daughter ha has come out and has shared that they're they're um, you know feeling feeling this way they're they're wrestling this way they're this is who they they feel they are. What would you suggest parents do through that process? Parents, I would say, love your child, tell them you love them, and embrace them, like literally, physically embrace them. Uh, when, when, or while they're sharing this story with them, with you, have a lot of grace on yourself. It's not necessarily your fault. There's maybe some ownership. I think that parents can have in the journey of uh, of their kids, but it's you know have grace on yourself and also in your response that you need to also kind of find the the people around you that you can also kind of talk with and deal with your own confusion and hurt and, and pain in the midst of if the journey of your child is going through. Um, but yeah, towards your child, I think, yeah, separate, I think your own journey and your own process from how you want to respond to your child. And even if you made mistakes that you can always go back and mm -hmm. apologize and say, sorry, or I want to listen to you. I want to uh, still be in relationship with you, whatever you're choosing uh the relationship goes first and 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 really um make that a statement that is that is true um because you cannot control i think what your children is, are choosing their journey to be but you can choose to still be um their parent and wanting to be in relationship with you don't let um if there's rejection let them reject you for not wanting to be in relationship with you then instead of kind of like you rejecting them already. Like if you do this, then you cannot be part of this family anymore. 
I, I would be very hesitant to say these things. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 very helpful, Lawrence. Um, what do you most hope that people will take away from your story uh, and what God has done in your life and what God is doing through your life in ministry? I think it's my life verse. It's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace, is, uh, yeah, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. I think that's what Jesus has been telling me all my life. Um, who would have thought when I was 17 years old that I'm now kind of like talking on sexuality, talking with married people, talking to the church about sexuality, about men and women and the beauty of that, but also talking about singleness and community and friendship and intimacy. I would never thought that that journey uh, was mine and that I'm that person right now that God is using to, to share a part of his gospel uh, with. And so I'm just very, if that's the one thing about brokenness in any one of our brokenness is I think mm -hmm. that's what my, what I want my life to be about. Um, yeah. Answered like that. That's awesome, brother. Man, I so appreciate you taking that time to be with us, Lawrence. And if those who are listening in uh, would like to connect with you in some way or connect with the ministry that you're doing uh, right now, what's the best way for them to to contact you or connect? Um, yeah, we. I mean, I I don't know. Like with you guys, I have an email address. You can find me on the Navigator's website probably too. Okay. Uh, but more than open to to yeah connect with people who wants to talk excellent. more yeah excellent well lawrence thank you so much i so appreciate you being with us making the time to share your story it's awesome to see how god's been at work in your life uh, how god is at work through your life and um it's just a, a beautiful story so thank you for making the time to be with us well appreciate appreciate the, our time <laughs> god bless you thank you thank you for joining me for this episode of the church leaders podcast be sure to check out the other episodes in this series. You don't want to miss out on the full discussion. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any of our interviews. We'd appreciate it if you could take just a few moments to let us know your thoughts by leaving us a review on your preferred podcast platform or sending an email to podcast at churchleaders.com. Your positive reviews and ratings help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.